This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. Hello, Top Croppers, and welcome to the first episode of a new Input series. My name is Alex Bernard, Associate Editor for Top Crop Manager magazine. The Plant Health Summit was a conference run by Top Crop Manager at TCU Place in Saskatoon on February 25th and 26th. The summit featured presentations on a variety of topics, from disease management and updates on clubroot and ophanomyces root rot, to insect pest control, to the future of farming with smart technology and plant growth regulators. This series will include conversations with the presenters about their topic and the central message growers and agronomists can take away and use in their work. This first episode features Jeff Shano, Professor of Soil Science at the University of Saskatchewan, as well as the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture Soil Nutrient Management Chair. He presented on fertilization as a means of improving crop quality, both in terms of the crop's health and the human nutritional value of crops as influenced by the nutrients applied during the plant's growth cycle. So what controls the concentration of a mineral nutrient element nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, or a microelement like copper or zinc in a plant. I think one of the most important first off is genetics. That genetically fixed nutrient uptake potential that different plants have reflects plants' evolution over millions of years. They've developed specific physiological systems that have requirements for certain amounts of elements. For example, canola has a high requirement particularly for sulfur, related to the kinds of sulfur-containing compounds in particular that are involved in the physiology of those brassicae crops. So genetics is important. Anybody out there that does uh, crop scouting out there in the field and taking tissue sampling is certainly well aware of the importance of plant part and age. For example, uh, annual crops take up most of the nutrient that they need early on in their life cycle, and then that gives a high concentration, but as they grow and photosynthesize and fix carbon, that concentration decreases as they get older, all of the things being equal. Environment is very important. As those plants, for example, take up that nutrient that they need early on, and then all of a sudden something shuts down the growth, that's going to give a higher concentration compared to if they're allowed to grow happily and merrily along and make their way through to maturity. The fourth one, this one that I want to explore a little bit more with you, is the availability of that nutrient in the medium, typically soil, and that can be influenced very much through fertilization has a strong control on the concentration of that mineral element in that plant material. It's Alex Bernard with Top Crop Manager and I'm here at the Plant Health Summit with Jeff Shano. I'm a professor of soil science in Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture Chair and Nutrient Management in the Department of Soil Science at the University of Saskatchewan. So Jeff has just finished his presentation, so we're going to have some questions about it. So just to give it a very basic breakdown, what is fertilization when you reference it? Sure. Well, my presentation today dealt with fertilization as it influences the quality of the crop. And that also translates into effects on the quality of the crop, not only for human consumption, but also for animal consumption as well. And uh, so influence of fertilization on crop quality, crop health is something else that I explored as well, looking at uh, fertilization and how that affects the incidence of plant diseases. 
So to bounce off of that, what factors do the nutrients bring to the plant that make it increasingly beneficial for human or animal consumption? Sure. Normally we think and, and traditionally about adding fertilizer and the increase in yield that it produces, the increase in bushels per acre or tons per hectare. But uh, uh, more uh, recently, uh, certainly we, we become more aware of the importance of factors that influence the quality of that crop. So things like protein content, uh, the content of elements in the grain that are also essential elements for humans, like uh, zinc or iron. So uh, yeah, we have an interest in, 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 in how uh, we can increase uh, the content of these desirable uh, nutrient elements in the plant material. Uh, the harvested material, which may be grain for human consumption or in forages for, for animal consumption. Certainly uh, protein content, as it's influenced by nitrogen addition, is a very important consideration. And also another example would be the zinc content of grain is especially of interest in countries of the world that have issues with uh, incidence of zinc deficiency because of low zinc content uh, in the diets that are consumed. So we're interested in, in how, for example, nitrogen fertilization increases uh, protein content as well as yield. We're interested in how, for example, fertilization with zinc would increase both yield and the human bioavailability of the zinc in the grain. In fact, increasing the nutrient availability slightly in a soil that is very deficient in a nutrient may actually result in a decrease in the concentration in the plant. And we call that growth dilution. A little bit of nutrient added under a condition of extreme deficiency results in an explosion of plant growth, uh, production of dry matter such that the concentration may actually decrease. Beyond that, we go into a, a region where as we increase the nutrient availability, the concentration increases. And finally, depending on the nutrient, we may hit a point where the plant says, ah, that's it, I got enough. And as we increase nutrient availability further, there are no further increases in concentration. But in many cases, and for many nutrients, for example, nitrogen, we also encounter a scenario where as we increase that nutrient availability further in that soil, the plant continues to take it up. There's no further increase in yield, but it continues to take it up. The concentration increases, and we sometimes refer to that as luxury uptake. Is it difficult to keep one thing from going too high when you add enough to create a, I think you called it a luxury yeah. or a surplus, I guess? Yeah, so uh, you know, we want to make sure that our, our fertilization practices are providing our producing a product, a grain for example, that uh, is of high yield and also has the optimum concentration of nutrient element in that plant material. And we can indeed run into circumstances where uh, uh, if we, for, for example, to over apply uh, a mineral element, we may end up with a high enough concentration in that plant material that it causes toxicity to the plant and it could also potentially cause uh, you know toxicity to a, to a human depending on what that particular constituent in that in that plant that, that was being produced was. Okay. I guess to play devil's advocate a little bit, 
if farmers aren't paid for nutrient content, why should they concern themselves with fertilization and nutrients yeah. beyond the levels? Sure. So I guess uh, farmers are paid for protein content, okay. for example, of wheat. So they are rewarded for that. In the case of the content of bioavailable micronutrient in, for example, a pulse crop, they may not be, be paid for that uh, directly. But it gives, if we have a product that we're producing in Western Canada that has a high bioavailable microelement content like, like zinc or, or iron, for example, it makes it desirable for the people that are, are purchasing that uh, a commodity where it's being sold for example, in the Middle East, and, and gives us a competitive edge. Okay. So uh, that's, I, I think that's, that's something, yeah, the grower isn't getting directly paid for it, but overall, in the bigger scheme of things, it gives our, uh, for example, pulse crops that we produce here, a competitive edge. You talked about the importance of sulfur as a building block in certain uh, Proteins. Amino proteins, proteins, yeah. 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 Uh, could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So uh, sulfur is a, an essential com constituent of, of two amino acids, uh, cysteine and uh, methionine. And so if you don't have sulfur, you don't get those two amino acids of the 20 that are required. So that greatly limits protein synthesis and ultimately uh, you know, influences uh, uh, yield as, as well and also uh, the protein content. And so as a consequence, uh, in, in highly sulfur deficient soils, fertilization with sulfur has been shown in some past research in highly sulfur deficient soils to, to increase the protein, protein content. And in some cases, you know, having the appropriate balance of nitrogen to sulfur is, is important for protein quality as well. And again, that, that's becoming more important in this, in this age where we look not only at the total weight yield, but also the, the protein yield per acre or per hectare. Like you said, there's a lot of information on what nutrients are necessary for humans. So how would producers sift through that or who would they ask about which nutrients are most beneficial to increase? Yeah, and I guess I guess thinking about it, I mean, the market is always what what is out there. That there's a demand for something that ultimately that comes through in a in a market that develops for, for that, and and maybe a specific contracts can be developed for a grain that is of a particular and, and already is uh, for particular protein contents of, of of wheat, for example. The desirability of having higher protein content in pulse crops because that improves the efficiency of of protein extraction greatly, and premiums are paid so that. That's, you know, that's already existing in, in some markets as already. And, you know, perhaps down the road that some of the other nutritional constituents that uh, are, are considered to be important in a particular food material, uh, and that may not just be a, a mineral element or something as simple as protein, it might be some other functional compound. Uh, I think we can also anticipate that, you know, that growers would get paid for that, a premium, and that fertilization may or may not be an influencing factor. So I think that's why down the road we need to be looking more at about uh, how the uh, fertilization practices are influencing the overall nutritional nutritional quality and the, the nutrient profile in the, in the foods that we produce. Mm -hmm. And hopefully the growers get rewarded for that. Yes. Yeah, I imagine with the focus on pea protein as a, a new plant-based protein widely available source. Yeah, and, and that's uh, that's one that can be a bit, a little bit more challenging in terms of how to increase protein content of, of 
pea, for example, mm -hmm. uh, using fertilization because uh, as a legume, uh, if you put on lots of nitrogen fertilizer, now that will increase the protein content of a cereal, but in the case of a, of a legume like a pea, uh, what the plant will do is it'll just uh, use that fertilizer nitrogen and reduce the fixation accordingly. Okay. So we actually see a fairly flat response to <laughs> addition of nitrogen fertilizer to boop up the protein content of pea or soybean. Some other nutrient elements like phosphorus uh, have shown some, some responses, uh, as I pointed out, because phosphorus is important in, in, as an energy currency and, and involved in the, the nitrogen fixation process. And there's some of these other elements that we don't know very much about, like the micronutrients. So for example, you know, that's a bit of a gap. So I think as time goes on, we'll, we'll continue to, to explore some of those, uh, those uh, facets of, of how fertilization impacts the the crop quality and that very much so includes protein. I mean we hear lots and lots about protein these days. Mm -hmm. It's a hot topic. Yeah. Celebrating its 35th anniversary this year, ANL Canada Laboratories is an innovative research-driven technology company focused on sustainable development. Through leading expertise, modern laboratory facilities, and a strong customer focus, ANL serves a wide range of industries including agriculture, environmental, food, and pharma globally. ANL's Vitellus Soil Health Test is the next generation soil health test and recommendations package used by farmers and crop consultants across Canada to make more informed decisions on their application of nutrients and on managing and improving their soil. To learn more, check out alcanada.com and reach out to your local ANL rep. In this break, I'd like to take time to share something Top Crop Manager is very excited to be a part of. The Influential Women in Canadian Agriculture program was created to recognize women driving change across Canada's agricultural sector. The magazine is part of a team looking to honor six Canadian women demonstrating leadership on the farm, in the research lab, in the classroom, or in the office. If you know a woman in agriculture who leads and inspires, please nominate them to be recognized before March 27th at agwomen.ca. Say a few words about copper fertilization. It's been, I think, uh, recognized for, for, for quite a while and uh, based on work by, by Ewan Evans uh, in Alberta back in the 1990s, showing that uh, lower copper fertility may aggravate ergot infections in wheat. And the reason is that the copper deficiency causes the self-pollinating florets to remain open longer, which increases the likelihood of that infection body entering into that floret and the ergot body developing. And so on copper deficient soil, copper fertilization may indeed help to reduce the incidence of ergot in, in cereals. Uh, not that you could consider this to be an entirely 100% effective type of management strategy, and, and I think you're only going to see this show up on, on soils that are truly copper deficient, but nonetheless, it's another type of fertilization management strategy that can, under conditions conducive to this, provide some potential benefit. And there will be some ongoing work uh, at Agriculture, Agri-Food Canada at Swift Current uh, by Julie Bernard uh, looking at copper fertilization and how it influences incidence of ergot in forage grasses where uh, that ergot can also be a, a problem as well. Micronutrients in rotation like to talk a little bit about some work that was conducted by my colleague, Dr. Ryan Hangs, uh, working with copper and zinc in a wheat pea rotation. Copper added to wheat, followed by zinc added to pea. And 
What uh, we did is we got a number of soils from across Western Canada of varying properties, and some of these soils had uh, properties and available concentrations and supply rates of, of micronutrient that indicated uh, potential responses to fertilization. So when we added the copper to the wheat on 12 mineral soils that were suspected to be responsive to added copper, indeed we did, as shown there, see a significant response of the wheat yield. This was done in the poly houses on Preston Avenue. A significant response of the wheat to copper fertilization. As we can see there, uh, foliar application, banded application significantly increased yield. Uh, you will note there a lower yield from the banded chelated copper and that was a treatment there where I think we used just a little bit too much. Our rates were too high and we saw some toxicities show up. So we always need to be aware with micronutrients in particular, there can be a fine line between sufficiency and toxicity. What's interesting is that in this study, the next year we grew peas on the wheat and we added zinc to the peas, we maybe saw a little bit of response there to the, to the added uh, uh, zinc, but in many cases it wasn't statistically significant. But the interesting thing that we did see is that the pea yield responded positively and significantly in the treatments where we had applied copper to the wheat the year before. So wheat responded strongly to the soil and foliar copper in the year of application, and the pea yield responded significantly to residual banded copper fertilizer applied the previous year. Now, normally you don't think of peas being responsive to copper fertilization. It had us puzzled, and uh, we really couldn't you know, find much of an evidence for it being a nutritional thing, but maybe it has something to do with the effect of the copper in reducing disease pressure in the pea. And I think this is something that deserves some further attention uh, down the road. So what can farmers and agronomists do with fertilization to improve their crop management practices? Well, I think to look beyond the influence that fertilization has on just yield. And many growers and agronomists are already doing that now with the protein and looking for target proteins and yields and building that into their, their recommendation models. The, the micro-element aspect of it, I think that's kind of in its infancy, like zinc concentrations and pulses, for example, uh, iron concentrations, and there's a lot of breeding effort, too, that I think is very important that goes on, as well as agronomy, as I pointed out, the genetics and, and the breeding is the other very important part of this to improve that crop quality aspect. I touched on the relationship between fertility and disease, mm -hmm. and certainly we're hearing a lot, to, you know, uh, we've had some wet years in the past, and there have been more concerns about disease. Uh, you know, we also hear about uh, issues with the development of resistance to uh, um, fungicides, for example. And so, you know, having another tool in the toolbox, how might the addition of uh, fertilizer nutrient also be potentially used to help reduce the incidence of that disease uh, along with our, our more traditional approaches which would be application of a fungicide. Okay. So I pointed out one of those in my presentations that's it's actually been documented for quite a long time is that you know copper deficient cereals, graminae will, will tend to be more uh, susceptible to ergot infection which is a, a plant health issue. It's also a human health one too and, and animal health uh, too uh, if we think about it uh, in, in forages. And so uh, you know on copper deficient soils then you know and you're going to grow a forage or a cereal then you would look at maybe you know copper 
fertilization, not only to, to supply copper from a nutritional physiological standpoint, but also uh, as, a, as consider that effect that, additional effect that it may have on reducing the incidence of a, of a disease. Okay. Are there any misconceptions that people have about fertilization or nutrient content that you'd like to address? That's a good question. Misconceptions. Well, I think, I guess I would say, you know, when it comes to, you know, a silver bullet, uh, you know, the addition of a, of a certain fertilizer going to uh, reliably and consistently suppress this disease, I, I think that's a, a, an unrealistic expectation to have. And uh, there's so many things that influence the kind of the, the development of, of a disease and uh, for example using disease as an example so fertility is just one of those so there's a lot of complex interactions that exist even within uh, organisms that are present in the soil. Good ones, good microorganisms, and bad microorganisms. And for how fertilization itself influences the soil conditions like pH for example. Those are the things that we need to, to, to learn more about. Okay. What is the most important or one of the most important things that farmers can take away from your talk? Well, I would say, you know, a well-fed crop is a strong crop. <laughs> Thank you again to Jeff Shano for speaking with me, and to you for tuning in to Inputs. Like I said at the beginning of this episode, this is the first in a six-episode series providing coverage of the Plant Health Summit. Episodes will be released every two weeks, with the next one coming your way on April 1st. Until then, I wish you the best of luck in planning for planting and a great start to spring 2020. Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To catch up on all of our other episodes, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts.